just uh, go ahead and begin uh, for the last few weeks. I have been sharing a series on uh, the key to healthy relationships, but we are calling it, my book that I wrote about it is uh, The Key to Healthy Relationships. We've been calling this series Building God's Kingdom One Relationship at a Time. And we are coming to the close of it. This is not the last time, but uh, we've covered a lot of ground. Relationships are so important. And God has a way that relationships can be good. He intended for relationships to be good. So put up with me Galatians 5.14. This is the law. If we keep the law, you know, if we can keep the law of gravity, we're not going to get hurt. If we try to break the law of gra gravity, guess what? We're going to wind up flat on our face. So here's a law. The whole law concerning human relationships is complied with in one precept. One precept. How simple is that? That you should love your neighbor as you do yourself. So we've been talking all these weeks about love, walking in love. How, what love, what love looks like, what it doesn't look like. What is the opposite of love? Everybody, somebody's telling me. Selfishness is the opposite of God's love. So we've been looking at what love is. We've been looking at what selfishness is. And then we have been looking at how we apply it in our everyday life in relationships. Just in a practical way. We talked um, about, I've lost track of every, every time. I've been to Dallas and back this last week, so... That'll wipe everything out of your memory. But um, we, we talked about offense. We talked about forgiveness. Uh, we talked about Wednesday night. We talked about stop allowing yourself to get aggravated. Some of you didn't show up. I'm sorry. But uh, you can get that online. So uh, we're just going to continue on in these practical areas because I, I'm one that... If somebody tells me I should do this or I shouldn't do this, you show me how. Show me how it works. I want to see it so I can know how I can do it in my life. So that's why we take some of these practical things and we uh, just center in on it so that you can get it, so that you can do it. So, Father, as we approach this session... We thank you, Lord, that you are so careful to give us instruction. Throughout the Bible, there's so much instruction that uh, we should always know exactly what to do. But sometimes, Lord, we don't know how to apply it. So thank you, Holy Spirit, for being our teacher. And now as we approach this subject, Holy Spirit, I ask you to give me utterance, bring all things to my remembrance. May it be so practical that Everyone can latch on to it, and we can be doers of the word and not hearers only. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, this morning, we're going to talk about something. I know you're going to be excited about this, but um, lock the doors, everybody. Don't let anybody out. Uh, we're going to talk about criticism. Yay! <laughs> uh, Fred Allen once said, you, you remember Pastor saying this many times, if criticism had any power, the skunk would be extinct a long time ago. 
And then we've all heard this saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never harm me. Well, let me just tell you that both of those sayings are totally untrue. There is power in criticism. Words are the most powerful force on the face of the earth. Um, words can break a heart, and words can heal a heart. Words can destroy a relationship, and words can make a relationship stronger. Words can tear a dream to shreds, or words can empower a dream. Faith-filled words can move a mountain. And one word from God can change a destiny. Words are very powerful. Words can cause unity and words can cause division. I want to look at Mark 3.25. If a house is divided or split into factions and rebelling against itself, that house will not be able to last. A house that is filled with criticism is on a very shaky footing. The Bible says that there will be a time when that house will collapse. That's how powerful critic criticism is. And so we're going to talk about criticism. I want to just give you a definition um, Criticism means, and I, I think you all really know, you know when you're being criticized for sure. Sometimes you don't know when you're criticizing someone else. You may just be turning in a prayer request. I don't know, or you think you are. Criticism means giving severe judgment, finding fault, or carping. Have you all heard that word? It's more than just a fish. Carping. We'll talk about that in a minute. To examine carefully and to judge. Then carping means, just because we don't use that word, it's a little bit old-fashioned, means to find fault unreasonably, complaining, picking out flaws, or raising trivial objections. And I would have to say that there's probably not one of us in this place that has not done one of those things. Uh, Romans 14.10, the question is, why do we criticize? And so Romans 14.10 says, why do you criticize? He's asking a question. Why do you criticize and pass judgment on your brother? Or, or, you, or you, why do you look down upon or despise your brother? brother for we shall all stand before the judgment seat of God so he asked this question why do you criticize so I'm going to ask us a question why do we criticize when we've all done it why do we criticize well many times we criticize because uh, we may be jealous of someone and we're trying to lift ourselves up put them down and lift ourselves up now in Proverbs the sixth chapter, the 17th verse, these are the six things that God hates. So I want you to remember that. 
six things that God hates. We're just going to talk about one of them. A proud look. And this proud look is the spirit that makes one overestimate himself and underestimate others. And we're just going to stop there. That's one of the things that God hates. Where we overestimate ourselves. You say, oh, well, I'm not overestimating myself. Well, listen, if you are criticizing someone else, you are saying, I know better than they. So what does that mean? We are overestimating ourselves and we're saying, I know better. I have a right to be the judge that renders the verdict here. So um, I'm reminded of, uh, so I, I guess the question is, how serious is criticism? Is it serious or is it just something that is part of human nature? I'm reminded of, of what I heard happen to Jerry Savelle. Jerry Savelle, I don't know how many of you know him, but if you don't, he's a, a minister, a well-known minister around the world. And um, he had a visitation, I won't go into that, from, but God sent him a message in a very unusual way. And this message was this. My ministers must stop criticizing one another. It's more serious than you know. So God went to a lot of trouble to tell him that criticism was way more serious than he knew. And it's probably way more serious than we know. In fact, the Bible has incidents of the seriousness of criticism. And I want to look at Numbers 12. Sometimes I don't know which is best, reading out of my Bible or trying to read it from up there. So we'll, we'll see. Now Miriam and Aaron talked against Moses, their brother, because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite woman. So uh, first of all, they started with something they didn't like that Moses had done. I don't know anything about this woman. Uh, I don't know if she was a good woman. She wasn't a good woman. We don't know that. But we could kind of suspect that maybe Miriam was just a little bit jealous because up until he married the Cushite woman, she was probably his, uh, his woman, woman advisor. She probably did the showers and whatever uh, they did. You know, she was, she was like, right under Moses. And uh, we don't know the whole situation, but we do know that it started out with Aaron and uh, Miriam talking against their brother, Moses. And this is what, then they went on, it wasn't just the woman now. And you know, this is something about criticism. When you start criticizing someone, I mean, you can start seeing every flaw in them that there is. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Who does he think he is? I mean, actually, he, he didn't have sense enough to not marry that woman. 
So uh, I don't even know if he hears from God. So, so they said, has he not spoken also by us? And the next part of that verse, this is verse 2. The next part of that verse is very sobering. It says, and the Lord heard it. This is Numbers 12, 2. Are you having a little trouble there? Technical troubles? Hallelujah. Well, just listen to me. Don't you wish you'd brought your Bible? Oh. <laughs> Most of you did. The Lord heard it. Let me tell you something. When you are complaining or criticizing, guess who is listening in? If, if Jesus was standing in the room with you, would you say some of the things that you say about other people? Just just checking. The Lord heard it. And um, so he confronted them. He said, Aaron, Miriam, and Moses, I'm calling you to the principal's office. Come out here. And the Bible says, and they came out. And they stood before the Lord. And then the Lord said, all right, now, Miriam and Aaron, step forward. They had to step forward. And then God began to talk to them about Moses and, said, and began to tell them that Moses had been selected and, and there was a lot of prophets. They, they got their information through dreams and visions, but not Moses. He says, I spoke to Moses face to face. Why? Let me just get the wording real uh, here. This is in verse 8. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And then God's glory departed. And when it departed, Miriam had leprosy all over her body. Now, that was a death sentence in those days. And, you know, it's also, I think, uh, symbolic. Because criticism is such a destroyer. And it'll start destroying you before it destroys someone else. And so the whole of the children of Israel, it says... Actually, they, Moses interceded for her, and Aaron interceded for her, and, and God said, well, okay, but listen. She deserves to be punished for at least seven days. And so for seven days, she had to be without the camp. And I think it's significant because criticism is contagious. Have you noticed that? And so the whole of the children of Israel had to wait. They waited. They could not journey. They couldn't go any further until it was dealt with. Is criticism serious? Well, it gets even more serious in number 16. Oh, my goodness. I won't go into all the details here, but there was four men. Dathan, Korah, 
Abiram and on, uh, they decided that Moses and Aaron was just getting a little too uppity and a little too holier than thou. And that they, had, they should have a bigger part in all of this. And so they got 250 princes or the heads of all of, the, of Israel together and they all came against Aaron and Moses. This was not a pretty sight when this was over. Because, and I won't go into all that they said. They, they said, um, you, you know, you said, you said that uh, you would bring us out to a land flowing with milk and honey. But actually, you just come to kill us in the wilderness. But you must also make yourself a prince over us? I don't think so. Moreover, you have not brought us into a land that flows with milk and honey or given us inheritance. This is verse 14 of chapter 16. Or given us inheritance of fields and vineyards, etc. We will not come out. Well, eventually they did come out and, and converse. And um, an interesting thing that God said to Moses, he said, this is in uh, verse 24, Say to the congregation, get away from the tents, or the dwellings, of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And verse 6, 26, he said to the congregation, depart, I pray you, from the tents of these wicked men, and touch nothing of theirs, lest you be consumed in all their sins. So God saw it as sin, and he told people, you better get away from them. Or you're going to receive the same judgment that they're going to get. And you know what? The judgment came. Do you remember the earth-shaking results? The groundbreaking ceremony? Where the, the earth split and these men and their whole households fell into the very pit. And then the earth closed up. I think that would make a pretty scary movie, don't you? That's how serious it was to God. He got rid of them. It is serious. It's more serious than we know. So, um, I want to look at uh, Numbers 14.4. Are we, are we up and, and rolling again? Romans 14.4. I'll find it real quick, just in case. We're still working back there. Good. I went to, uh, Pastor and I went to a pastor's conference in Phoenix, Arizona. It was a pastor school at Tommy Barnett's church many, many, many years ago. And one of the workshops that they had was, is the sound system really demon-possessed? <laughs> and sometimes I think that the enemy does try to use some of our technology just to confuse us, just to frustrate us. But he doesn't, he, he's not going to get the victory. So who are you? I want to ask you this question. Who are you to pass judgment on and censor another household servant? 
It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And listen to this. He shall stand. And he shall be upheld. For the master, the Lord, is mighty to support him and make him stand. Just lift, leave that up there for just a little bit. You know, the interesting thing is, a lot of the criticisms that I have heard of people, they're telling me what they heard secondhand. Sometimes it's secondhand crit criticism, and sometimes it's old news, something they did way back then. And you know, that's the big, one of the biggest dangers of criticism is Many times it's just secondhand. And many times people might have done that back then, but they have since repented and their life has turned around. How sad is that? That we hold people back there to their past when God does not. So our, the question is who are you to pass judgment? Are you the judge? Who are you to pass judgment? Because listen, this is what's going to happen with the master that really has the right to pass judgment. It says, the master, uh, he, he says that he shall stand. That person shall stand and he will uphold him. This is our God. Our God is, he is for us. He is not against us. And he is working in our lives constantly. He's lifting us up. He's holding us up. He's trying to move us to a place of victory all the time. He wants us to stand and not fall flat on, his, on our face. But sometimes people who think they're the judge, they're the ones that trip people up and cause them to fall because of their criticism. They, they think they're the judge. So the question is, who are you to pass judgment? There's kind of a related scripture in uh, Romans, uh, the second chapter. Uh, verses 1 and 1, starting verse 1. Therefore you have no excuse or defense or justification, O man. Whoever you are who judges and condemns another. For imposing as a judge and passing sentence on another... You condemn yourself because you who judge are habitually practicing the very same thing that you censor and denounce. Aha. Uh -huh. You know, we tend to see the faults in other people that are actually in ourselves that we haven't dealt with. We see that and. And so we judge the others so we won't have to look at ourselves. You see, we judge, uh, we're, uh, we judge others by their behavior, but we judge ourselves by our intention. But the problem is, are we the judge? That's the question. I want to look at Matthew 7. Matthew 7, 1, do not judge and criticize and condemn others so that you may not be judged and criticized and condemned yourself. So, 
sowing and reaping is not just in finances. It's in judging and criticizing as well. You sow judgment and you sow, sow criticism. You're not sowing for a very good crop. Because it says, uh, so you, if you do not judge and criticize, then you will not be judged and criticized and condemned ourselves. Go ahead to the next verse. For just as you judge and criticize and condemn others, you will be judged. You will be criticized and you will be condemned. We don't like that. And in accordance with the measure you use to deal out to others, it will be dealt out to you again. Is criticism serious? It is. Go ahead, number three. So why do you stare from without at the very small particle that's in your brother's eye, but you do not become aware of and consider the beam of timber that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me get that tiny particle out of your eye when there is the beam of timber in your own eye. You hypocrite, first get the beam of timber out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the tiny particle out of your brother's eye. Now how in the world do you see a tiny particle in someone else's eye? You know, you have to have this to see the tiny particle. It's a magnifying glass. I call this magnifying glass my critical spirit. Jesus had a whole bunch of people that had a magnifying glass when his ministry was going on. In fact, there was this disease that these people had. I call it... Jesus derangement syndrome. Kind of after the disease that we have going on here in the United States. Only it has to do with one of our former, recent former presidents. Have you heard of that disease? It's a syndrome where they cannot do anything right. So here I am with... My magnifying glass looking for tiny specks in my brother's eye. And all the time, I'm doing something way worse. Because this is way worse than the, the, the tiny speck that's in the eye of someone else. This critical spirit is way worse than anything that they're doing. Isn't that what we just read? We're actually doing the same thing. Remember the Pharisees that brought the woman that was taken in adultery? Brought her, brought her to Jesus and began to condemn her. And I mean, they were pointing out exactly all the things that needed to be done to her. And what did Jesus say to them? Okay. You that are without sin... You're the ones that are going to have to cast the first stone. And nobody could raise their hand on that one. And then Jesus turned to the woman that actually had the sin in her life. And this is the way, listen, 
This is the way you can deal with tiny specks in other people's lives. This is the way. Jesus did it. He said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. He planted into her life the love of God. You know, only God can bring us to a place of perfection. Nothing I can do can bring you to a place of perfection until you're ready. And God can get you ready. So, Dale Carnegie said this. Criticism is futile because it puts a man on the defensive and usually makes him strive to justify himself. Criticism is dangerous because it wounds a man's precious pride, hurts his sense of importance, and arouses his resentment. So the question is, who's the judge? I want to look at James 4.12. One only is the lawgiver and judge who is able to save and destroy the one who is able to save and to destroy the one who has the absolute power of life and death. But you, who are you that you presume to pass judgment on your neighbor? Who is the judge? God is the only one qualified to judge. You know why? Because you don't know what's going on in somebody's heart. All you see is the outward action. So you just set yourself up and you say, well, I wouldn't do that if I was them. I think you probably would. There's a good chance you might. But God looks on the heart. He has, he has all the evidence. You know, it'd be like us going, reading a newspaper and, and uh, about some incident. And then we pass judgment and render a verdict on that account. And we don't have the evidence. All we know is what's being said about it. Our God knows all the evidence. And we just saw that he will uphold us. He will help us to stand. If we're going to be like him, then we have to have that same, same attitude in our life towards those that might have faults in their life. So, um, put up Romans 14.4 in the message. Just, we're, we're just going to look at the last part of the fourth verse here. So, um, I'm going to start at the last line there, where it says, if there, so, so we're going to read that. If there are corrections to be made, or manners to be learned, God can handle that without your help. Isn't, that takes a load off your shoulders. You don't have to judge people. So I want to just uh, kind of end this with what if others criticize you? Have you ever been criticized? I'm sure we all have. Is it fun? We think it's serious when they criticize us. You know, we... Pastor and I started this church in uh, 1977, and we have been severely criticized. Thankfully, I don't know all the things that have been said.
Thankfully, I don't want to know all the things that's been said. But I know that we have been criticized. So uh, we had to decide what is our stance when it comes to criticism. And early on, we made up our minds that we would never criticize someone back if they criticized us. And if other ministry criticized us, or and we've had some things happen, we made up our mind that we would never speak uh, negatively against another ministry. And we had kept that all through these years because we didn't want to be criticized. We didn't want to plant that. And it is serious. It is serious. I, I uh, read about this account of Catherine Coleman uh, from Jamie Bunkingham's book, Coping with Criticism. And this is, uh, he had worked for Catherine Coleman, Coleman for uh, several years as a writer up until the time that she died in 1976. And um, he makes this, he, he shares this account. Shortly after he went on nationwide, nationwide television with her weekly program, she received a letter from a public school official in the little town of Iredell, Texas. He said this, I love you and, have, and I love your program, he wrote, but it would be much better, however, if you didn't have to spend so much time tugging at your skirt trying to pull it down over your knees. It was really distracting. Why don't you wear a long dress instead? Catherine read the letter and she said, you know, he's right. She said to her secretary, uh, this is what, that's what she said to her secretary. And so she never wore another street length dress on her television programs. So uh, Ironside said this. Let me see if I can find that quote. If what they are saying about you is true, mend your ways. If it isn't true, forget it, go on and serve the Lord. And you know, that's the way Oral Roberts was. He got a lot of criticism. And he made this statement. Let the dogs bark, the train rolls on. So uh, when others criticize us, I know uh, one time... Um, the Lord asked me this, if someone has a personality problem, whose problem is it? And I said, well, it's their problem. And he said, well, if you respond and react to, your, to their dysfunction by taking it personally, it becomes your problem. You can let criticism roll off of you like Jesus did when they criticized him with his bread and, you know, eat my flesh and drink my blood sermon and every you know all most of his disciples left and instead of chasing after them and trying to explain it he turned to his disciples and he says do you want to go too and they said well i don't guess so you're the one that has the words of life <laughs> and you know after all of that it's kind of comical to me the very next verse says uh, talks about uh Judas, he, he, he says, oh, one of you is going to betray me. One of you is a traitor. And he just, I mean, he, he didn't leave anybody alone. And so people may criticize you. 
Let God deal with them. And so uh, I want to just read some scriptures as we close. The one thing you don't do when somebody criticizes you is criticize them back. I just want to remind you. We're talking about spiritual principle here. Release God's love to them. Love really is the key in every relationship. No matter what problems we face. We read one precept. One precept is the law. Release love. You have it on the inside of you. So I'm going to read some scriptures uh, as we close. Ephesians 4.29 Let no foul or preluding language or evil words or unwholesome or worthless talk ever come out of your mouth. But only such speech as is good and beneficial to the spiritual progress of others as is fitting to the need and the occasion. That it may be a blessing and give grace God's favor to those that hear it. And I want to read Galatians 6 uh, at 1 through 5 out of the Message Bible. This is a key. Live creatively, friends. If, when you're living creatively, that means you're creating something, not tearing it down. Live creatively, friends. If someone falls into sin, forgivingly restore him, saving your critical comments for yourself. You might be needing forgiveness before the day is out. Stoop down. Reach out to those who are oppressed, share their burdens, and so complete Christ's law. If you think you're too good for that, you're badly deceived. Make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you've been given, and then sink yourself into that. Don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourself with others. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best you can with your own life. So I, I want to read one more scripture. Uh, Romans 15. Starting in verse 5. Now may the God who gives the power of patient endurance. Steadfastness. And who supplies encouragement. Grant you to live in such mutual harmony. And such full sympathy with one another. In accord with Christ Jesus. That together you may unanimously with united hearts and one voice, praise and glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. So welcome and receive to your hearts one another, then even as Christ has welcomed and received you for the glory of God. So I jotted this down. God doesn't look at us with a critical eye and see us fault flawed. Isn't that good news? He sees us as unfinished only. And he's working to finish this. And 1 Corinthians 8, 1 says, But love, affection, goodwill, and benevolence edifies and builds us up, builds up and encourages one to grow to, its full, to its full, his full stature. That's the way we live creative. We create with our words. We create with our words. And so we're going to end this today with taking communion. And I want to just move into what the Bible talks about in the area of communion. In uh, 1 Corinthians, okay, she's got that up there. The cup of blessing. Now, I want to talk to you about the cup of blessing. What we're getting ready to do this morning 
we are, we are drinking the juice, eating the bread, and it is a, the cup of blessing. God wants to bless us. The cup of blessing of wine at the Lord's Supper upon which we ask God's blessing doesn't mean that in drinking it, does it not mean that in drinking it we participate and share a fellowship, a communion in the blood of Christ the Messiah? The bread which we break, does it not mean that in eating it we participate and share a fellowship, a communion in the body of Christ? Now I want to look at that in light of what we've shared today. When we take communion corporately, we are recognizing each other as part of Christ's body. And so we must recognize that God has done, God loves everyone equally, and he wants us to love everyone equally. As we participate, we need to be mindful of the body of Christ. And now in... Uh, in, second, in 1 Corinthians, the 11th chapter, I'm just going to quickly just mention this. But, um, whoops, I've got a second. For I received from the Lord himself that which I passed on to you. It was given to me personally that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was treacherously delivered up and while his betrayal was in, the, in prog progress, look, he said this. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance affectionately. Do this to call me affectionately to remembrance. So what we're doing this morning, we want to remember what Jesus has done for all of us. We are one, the body of Christ. We are one. And we're going to bring to remembrance that we are all in this together. And we're going to bring into remembrance what Christ has done for us. When we partake of the grape juice, we're going to remember, oh, thank you, Lord, that your blood washed my sins away. Hallelujah. Not only did the blood wash my sins away, it washed all of the body of Christ. The sins are all washed away. We bring that into remembrance. Then when we partake of the bread, we're remembering that Jesus' body was broken for us so that we could have healing in our physical bodies. We bring that into remembrance. And I'm not going to read the rest of that chapter, but it talks about if we do this unworthily, what does it mean when we take communion unworthily? It means that we take it flippantly and we don't think about what God has done for us, what Jesus has done for us. We on purpose receive what Jesus has done for us. And then he associates that with, you know, people are sick because they don't. They don't appropriate what Jesus has done it has been our honor to offer this message today. If you would like to partner with us as we continue to bring the Word of God, we would ask that you prayerfully consider supporting Victory Center with a financial donation. You may do so today via the online giving portal at victorycenter.org. Thank you.